All right, and we are back with another episode of the Cousin Soccer Podcast. We're going to go over some Atlanta United. Um, I am Clark. And I'm Hector. And yeah, Clark said this is going to be basically, I guess, the uh, the funeral for Atlanta United's 2020 season. Um, I guess they're technically still alive. They need a lot of things to fall their way for that to even come close to happening. Uh, so, yeah, we're just going to dive into the recent games, our thoughts on the 2020 season as a whole, and uh, just some of the things to look forward to um, and things we're interested in for the 2021 season. So, yeah, why don't we just start with the you know the games that, that just happened, Clark? I guess the, the first one was that 2-1 loss to D.C. United. It was a game. I mean, every game that Atlanta had left at this point was a must win, uh, but this is a game that was relatively winnable going into it and uh, we saw them go down late in the game and claw back and equalize just to turn around and give back that lead in the final minute of the game Uh, did you have any I mean I know we're both pretty just bummed out about how the season has ended but do you have any like specific things you want to bring up about that game in particular yeah um big shout out to DC United for streaming the game on our website because that was the easiest way and legal way for me to like follow the game. So big shout out to DC United. Um, you know, so getting kind of actually into the game now, this was an um, absolute must-win game. And this team just came out flat right off the bat. Yeah. You come out, you don't play Mulraney or Gallagher starting, who have both been probably two of our best players in the past few weeks. Ozetu was... I have more on him later, but he was fine in the first half and then just a ghost the rest of the game. It's Barco, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe he's <laughs> getting in, get, you know, getting ready for for that day. Uh, yeah, Barco doing his Barco thing of holding on to the ball too much. It's just... I, it was very frustrating to watch because on many levels it was just they're like oh yeah we had more possession we had more attempts on goal but it none of it matters when you don't have meaningful possession like possession is always a good stat yeah it's great to have the ball more than the opponent but if you're not doing anything with it or capitalizing on your chances it's like what's what's the point yeah, that's been, uh, I feel like, the story in, in quite a few matches for Atlanta. You know, they they kind of just, I believe, Guzan leads the league and passes by a goalie, and it's because they're just kind of passing it on, along that back line, uh, up the wing a little bit, just to turn around and bring it back constantly in these matches. I mean, Atlanta, not to get too ahead of myself, but they, they had dominated possession in uh, the match against Orlando where they got blown out too. So, yeah, that's been something that we see week in, week out. It's just Atlanta, I mean, they. it seems like they, they're missing something still on that team that kind of just creates some some offense. And you can't even really blame it on the Joseph Martinez injury at this point because if, if you were creating chances and they just weren't being finished, that'd be one thing. Uh, you, could, you know, you could point out the fact that you're missing arguably the best striker in MLS up top. But right now, you're not even sniffing any sort of opportunities for most of these matches. So, yeah, I... I have pretty much nothing positive to say out of that DC United game. Like you said, 
complete mismanagement of the starting 11 for some reason. I don't know how when you're dealing with a must-win game, like it's one thing to really take rotation into mind when you're nearing the end of a season and you're thinking about playoffs because you want to, you know, have guys ready for that, have them close to fully fit. Mm-hmm. But when you're just trying to scrape by to make it, you know, the the season ends if you don't win. So I don't know what they're holding these cards for. It's not like they're playing every three days anymore. Um, they they should be able to handle that workload, and I'm I'm fairly certain they can. So yeah, mismanagement of the of the of the roster, uh, and then just the guys that were out there for the most part just looked like they didn't really have much interest in being out there. Um, Barco in particular was incredibly disappointing. You know, it says a lot when, you know, Moreno hasn't been perfect by any means, but in a short time, he does already look like the best player on this team, I would say. Um, And it's taken, what, a month? Like four or five appearances? Yeah, so so it it really says a lot about how disappointing the rest of the team has been um, pretty much as a whole. There's been some bright spots, obviously, with some of the younger guys, but not really much to draw from in this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to jump to the to the Orlando game, that one, we went from from bad to even worse in that one. I mean, the thing that was interesting about that game was right out for the first probably 15, 20 minutes, we looked pretty good. Um, we looked like we could score a goal. We had a bunch of ch- a few chances, um, and. Overall, like that first twenty minutes, I was like, okay, this this is this is a team that can compete, right? We look pretty solid. Barco's not doing as much as he was. Everyone was doing enough, and then out of nowhere, Daryl DK just decides to start bossing us, and it just really unravels from there. That that game, from top to bottom, was another just purely mismanaged team. You had. Josetu out there again. I don't know if he's good or not. Like he shows stuff. Like at times, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's he'll be good enough. And then he just disappears. Or I really don't even know. He just doesn't pass the eye test. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's a that's a good way to put it. He has great stats. They always show. Oh, he has all these good stats of passes for like high percentage completion all of these other, you know, metrics that they would say are good. And then when you watch him, it's like, where did he go? I don't, I didn't even see him for 45 minutes, but he's out there. He wasn't subbed out. So yeah, I I don't know that that game was just hard to watch again. It was just like, they were after that first, no, it was after the goal that Mueller scored on the free kick. That team was done. goes right to halftime and you just, they were done. Yeah, that second half was was completely uh, it was a, it was a waste of time. They may as well give everyone a break and send them home with a two nil victory. It would have been better in the goal differential. But yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned Rosetto and the fact that he not passing the eye test is the perfect way to describe it because you do watch him and you're like, he's completing passes. You know, he moves the ball upfield at times, and he's he has the body to be a competent defender too in the middle. But it just doesn't seem like he's actually contributing. Now, that's something that I guess since he's not he's he's relatively young, I think that's something that maybe next season, if there's just more stability and a better constructed team, you might be able to actually see some of those numbers come to fruition and actually end up in, you know, either chances or goals or whatever. But for now, 
yeah, for now, there's really no reason to... I mean, I'm not saying give up on him, but he hasn't done anything right now to, to say, okay, we can count on him for next season either. Uh, kind of just feel like I don't know what we have yet. True. I mean, like, we, we don't, but at the same time, you paid... I don't know how much he makes in comparison to a guy like Eindman, but Eindman makes enough and has been impactful enough on and off, like off on the field where I didn't see any time where I thought, oh, Josetu should absolutely start over him. Even when Heinemann plays poorly and is being lazy and not running back or being quick with his, you know, moving to defend people. Josetu still right. did less than Hindman at times when Hindman's being lazy as shit. Like that's all the only way I can put it. I I keep watching him and constantly I text you and you just see me like, where the hell is he? Like, what is he doing? Why is he standing next to Moreno while he's dribbling into two dudes? Like, you can't help him by standing next to him. Get out of his freaking way and get open for a ball or get back in case he loses it. You know, there's he, too many, his decision-making is just, int- it, I wonder, I don't, I don't know. I don't, he just doesn't pass the eye test. That's really it. Yeah. And the, and the wages thing is a hard thing to examine because we don't have those numbers. Um, you know, cause mm-hmm. if it comes out and, and Rosetta's making like 300 K, then you're like, all right, whatever. Like he's a rotation guy. We'll, we'll gladly pay that for him. But like you said, if, he's, if it's sneaking up to a million dollars, and you're then you're like, what in the world are we, are we doing here? So that's something that I don't know if we're gonna get those numbers at the end of the season. I know they're typically released. I don't know if that was something that potentially got changed in the labor negotiations, um, but I guess we'll uh, we'll find out. I, the the team needs a lot of a lot of fixing. It's not just though replacing no. certain players and all that. It's it's a whole like mentality thing ever since the return from the um, from the break going down to Orlando and all that. I mean, Frank DeBoer's tenure here was always very tumultuous. Like it was very, very rarely did we have consecutive weeks where everyone was joyful with what was going on. Um, So I think like the mentality was already fractured. And when you sent, sent out so many, like so many guys that had been here for a long time, I mean, long time relative to Atlanta United's history, (laughs) Um, I think it did damage kind of just the, the mentality of the squad. And that's something that can be repaired for sure. And that's something that even guys who didn't show it this year could show it next year. But that right there shows you that it's not just about sign X player or, or you know, bring in this coach and that's going to fix everything. Like, no, something has to change in their, the way they, they approach these games um, from the players to the front office, to the coaching staff, it, it needs to be addressed because it's not going to be an easy fix. You know, Atlanta United with Joseph Martinez, with a few more signings, because he could easily find themselves in a playoff spot next season. And, you know, I'd be shocked if they weren't involved in that. But if you want to return to the Atlanta United, that is a 100% title contender. Um, there's a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And I think that starts with a manager. You know, Glass has shown multiple times this season that he is not, shouldn't even be remotely considered for consideration for the, you know, actual full-time job because I feel like he had no tactics. The only time he did was like the first time we played DC United and beat them 4-0, which was just like press, press, press. And that worked. But I don't know. He just 
subs a dude in, hopes it works, and that doesn't. He's given very little direction to a lot of young players to go out and succeed or tell them to not do things like, hey, Barco, you're dribbling too much. Pass. You know, that if if, if you had a leader on the team or another or a coach that's like, hey, this is a big thing you've been doing. I've seen this every week. Stop doing it. And you've seen no change from anyone's point of play, really, other than like Franco Escobar, who has played all across the back line, who started to improve towards the end until he had the mysterious injury we don't know about. And yeah, one quick thing that upsets me most is like, so we fire Frank DeBoer. You would think with how quickly that happened, they had someone in mind to immediately replace him. And they didn't, they, we haven't heard anything. We know there's some people in consideration, but we don't know who, like when, like it, it's, it's just, there's, the front office has failed us as fans too from just being transparent. And that's been throughout the entire season with injuries and, you know, any team news in general. Yeah. To, to touch on that, the coaching surge in particular there, um, it, in my opinion, it was, it was terribly timed because like you said, if you made that decision so quick, you think you'd have someone in mind. Now on top of that, when it occurred, we were just, I mean, the, the, Globally, soccer was delayed, but still, by say mid-July, um, seasons were ending. We had an idea of which coaches would be available, and Atlanta didn't bring anyone in at that time. Instead, now globally, soccer's in the middle of their seasons now, and no capable coach is just going to dip out of a job right now to come join a team in the MLS. Like. Their, their chance to strike, in my opinion, was during the summer after, um, you know, when, when things were winding down and they didn't do that. And who knows, maybe maybe they did have someone in mind. And for whatever reason, it had to wait until the winter. If that's the case, then, you know, great. But it <laughs> it doesn't seem like that's the case. I'd be very, very surprised if that was if they had some sort of master plan that's going to come to fruition. I think I think they panicked. I think. They panicked after losing every single game in the group stage, which, yeah, it was a disaster. But if, like, Frank DeBoer should not have been fired for just going winless in the group stage. Like, it had to have been a cumulative thing over mm -hmm. from his entire tenure. If, the, if they fired him because of everything, then it makes sense. You know, yeah. this is a good spot to cut it at. We're coming home. We're going to have a chance to regroup with a little break here. Um, but if... If it turns out, you know, it was just a snap decision, then that arguably makes it even worse because you're just you panic because this coach that you brought in isn't pulling the results you want. So you just decide to cut him without a real backup plan already in place. Like you see it all the time in soccer. I mean, it, the the amount of clubs that will will panic fire a guy and then be just aimlessly searching and bringing a guy that isn't exactly what they want. You see it every single season. Meanwhile, you have teams that, you know, one I can relate to really quickly when Mauricio Pochettino was fired big picture. It was hard to really justify because sure. They had been really struggling in that season, but like just looking at what he had accomplished in the previous years, you know, it would have made sense for him to pretty much get one or two seasons where he could, fail before actually being fired uh instead you know he was just cut on the spot 
And within, I want to say, like 48, 72 hours max, Jose Mourinho was hired. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was clear that Tottenham, you know, they they had a plan on what they wanted to do the second that Pochettino was out that door. Uh, and, it, you know, like I said, we're not in those front office meetings, so we don't know exactly what they discuss. Uh, but just based off other things that have happened in the last year, I would just be really shocked if it, it's looking more and more like it was a panic firing and that they didn't exactly know what they wanted to do after that. They can say everything they want about, we want an attacking minded, uh, minded coach, you know, a guy that'll play young talent, all that stuff. That's easy to come out and say, but unless you actually, you know, have a short list of guys that you know for sure that you want to target, not just that you want to target, but that are realistic options, then, you know, what are you really doing throwing yourself just further into the chaos? But no, Glass, you know, that was a full-on tangent right there, but on Glass specifically, I agree. He He's shown very little in terms of ability as a tactician. Um, rare, rarely do you have an interim coach, you know, sometimes they put you in this position where you kind of don't want them to have too much success because you don't want to keep them. Uh, you kind of just want them to handle the team for a little bit and then, you mm-hmm. know, get out of here but glass has made it perfectly clear on what the decision has to be like he has he he hasn't done anything there's been nothing there's been literally nothing that he has done you know that that instills any sort of confidence in me the young guys that have gotten better they were already getting better before he took over sure you know you can give him some credit for continuing that development but like i don't know george bello is one of the highest touted players out of all the young americans Sorry if I don't consider you a mastermind for, you know, bringing out his talent when that's what we expected him to do the second that we found out about him. So, yeah, this, the coaching search needs to – they need to nail it. They they don't have any room for error on this next one because another tumultuous season for Atlanta United, another season of just disappointing results every single week. Um, it's it's going to start reflecting in the stands. It's going to start reflecting with the supporters. And when, you know, Atlanta took the league by storm when they came in, and that's one of the big reasons that they have the fan base that they have now. But the MLS is still a small growing league. Um, you don't have a lot of a lot of opportunities to kind of build what Atlanta has already made and then rebuild it if you have to. So I, I do, I mean, obviously I hope they're able to nail that. It's going to be hard because, like I said, there's you don't have a lot of options in front of you. I don't know. No. I mean, we don't have any real idea of what the what the potential candidates look like at this point. But season will be ending soon for Atlanta, at least. And hopefully in a few weeks, we'll we'll have an answer there. Well, and back on to the MLS as a as just a league in general, it's the way our schedule is set up too doesn't match up with the rest of the world. Like, it really only matches up with, I think, like, Brazil and a few South American leagues. So you're not going to be able to get a guy from Europe because when our season's over, it's, you know, it's January or something for them, right? They're in, like, still full throttle for the rest of their season. So it's not like you can get, unless a guy gets fired from getting knocked out of, like, you know, every tournament and just having an awful performance with his team. It's it's just not likely to find one of your top candidates available when we actually would need them. So I would think it would be someone that's maybe in South America or another MLS coach, but Hey, I don't know. We can kind of move on to kind of 
an analysis of some of the players we have and maybe where to go. So I wanted to kind of start with goalkeepers and specifically, you know, Guzan. Um, Khan is obviously a pretty decent backup when he's played for us. I think he's done well. But Guzan this season, he's had some highlights, but at other times he's not looked himself. And he's getting to the age where, you know, goalkeepers can play a lot of very, very good goalkeepers like Buffon, Van de Sar, even Tim Howard. Uh, who was the coach for he, – or he was a goalie for Tottenham at one point. Oh, he was the coach uh, of like Colorado or something or New England. Was it uh, the bald guy? Yeah, another American. I cannot remember. Yeah, American Anywho. goalkeeper. I cannot remember. His but name he right played now. to like forty as well. Yeah, I mean you can you can play and still play at a high level a lot older as a goalie. And uh, you know he Guzan makes probably the most, maybe what the highest paid goalkeeper in the league. I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure. He's up there. And, you know, for the quality he's given us this season specifically, because last season, you know, he had a fantastic year. The defense was also really good, which also contributes to maybe his bad form this year. But there are some easy saves that he should have. And this is like not, not like one every once in a while. This is multiple times this season in big games. He's lost concentration or just had like a half second slow reaction to something that maybe someone else would have gotten. And it becomes a big deal when it's your goalie, right? That's making big mistakes that lead to you maybe lose dropping points, especially when they're getting paid as much. That's why David De Gea gets so much slack is because he makes he's literally the highest paid goalkeeper in the world so it's like when he makes a mistake it's going to be analyzed at a much higher level so that's why i'm giving guzan this type of you know he needs to improve or we need to also start searching for his replacement to be you know our number one if khan isn't that guy or more or you know the guys that are below him on the depth chart yeah um Khan, I think, is, like, honestly, the perfect backup. He's yeah. been capable whenever we needed him. His salary isn't bad. Like, I'm sure he wants to be a starter somewhere and believes he can be a starter somewhere. Um, so if he ever wants to test that out, I think he he deserves it. But for mm -hmm. now, like, as long as we have him as backup keeper, I'm very satisfied there. Um, as far as Guzan goes, I'm you know, I agree with you there in terms of I do think he's taken a step back this season and I don't know if that's just the, the the you know the mood of the team affecting him. You know, ever no one really stood out this season with, with any of the veterans, so it could be that. But I do think you know he's he's up there in age. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if if he's just not the same goalie that he was. And when he, when his wages are that high, then you need to start looking for an out there, at least a potential one. So I, I think Guzan will be our goalkeeper next season. Uh, but I do think the Brad Guzan era in Atlanta United is probably the end of it is probably sooner than a lot of people realize. Um, and it's honestly, yeah, like even, you know, even if he did start to, if, if it is a decline, like that's not, that's already a very impressive length of a career. Like yeah. you got to be happy with that. Years. So I, I think Atlanta needs to start looking around and 
even if it's not for next season, you know, target someone for 2022, maybe. Because uh, they, they, you know, when you're limited by the salary rules that MLS imposes, you can't be paying a goalkeeper that much money if he's not one of the best, like, three or five in the league. And even then, like, you're not talking about a <sighs> Ter Stegen, a Buffon in the MLS. Like, the the difference in quality between these keepers, even from number one to, like, number 20 is not that different. So I would yeah. say it's in their best interest to start looking around because it's going to be a spot that they're going to address, have to address sooner rather than later anyway. Um, so may as well have a plan in mind. Um, but yeah, that's, I'm with you there on Guzan for sure. So moving on to, I guess, the center back specifically, um, I think, you know, with walks, He's done all we could have asked. I don't really have any negative things to say about him. Like, yeah, he could have been better here and there. But, you know, he's not necessarily new to the team, but he's new to this group of players. Um, Meza, I think, has played all right when he has played. But there's some rumors that he might leave. And, you know, uh, I don't think... He's not necessarily a bad fit for the team. I just think we might want another center back that has that kind of ferocity that Franco or LGP has, where it's just like, you know, Miles Robinson is a very good center back when he doesn't have to do the passing as much passing, you know, when he's able to kind of sit back, be prepared for someone to run at him and maybe be the last defender back, you know, make that hard slide tackle or body some guy to beat him off the ball with his physicality. Um, so I I don't know. And then you get Wyke as well. He's very versatile. That's those him and Walks are just very versatile players that you know you really don't have too much to say. They haven't played as big of a part in this team as you know Robinson or Franco have. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Robinson's not had the best season, and people are saying, oh, he's not that good, but I still think he's one of the best defenders. I, his issue is he lost LGP, who he had a great partnership with. He also lost the guidance of Parkhurst as well, who may not, I think we've said it before, he may not have been the fastest or the most physical, but he knew where to be, and he didn't make many mistakes. And learning from guys like that, you know, on a young, impressionable player... That's that's great. You know, learns how to do crazy shit from LGP diving headers or kicks to, you know, slide tackles that you shouldn't do. He, I don't know. It's, it's just we've lost a lot at that back line, and we've noticed that more and more as this season progressed. Like, maybe Meza wasn't the best trade for LGP, especially when you see LGP's already back in the MLS. Yeah, I think... Um... What you said there towards the end about the players that that left, I do think that's been a big influence because Miles basically went from being a a prospect who was coming into his own last season to now expected to be the leader of that defense. Like, sure, Franco is the most established guy in that back line, um, but he's also <laughs> a very just he's the wild card. Like, he's not going to be the guy that you count on for like the calming presence, because that's not what you want out of him. That you're, you're putting a cap on what Franco can do if you're asking him to tone it down. Um, so, so miles essentially in a way to me, he went from being that young guy to essentially having to take on the Parkhurst role in that defense in terms of like P 
people looking to him as a leader. And I do think he's definitely capable. I, I still think he's one of the best center backs on the team in the league. Um, it's just a matter of finding the parts that fit well with him. Like you said, I, I think Meza is a good center back. I just, it doesn't seem to be the the one we need. Like I, I could see him thriving on another team in MLS and even in, in Atlanta United, like if he's here next season, it wouldn't shock me if next season looks a lot better, but I, there was too many moments where the defense looked a little too passive. Um, there was just something missing there. And I do think it was kind of just the chemistry issues on that back line. I mean, you also got to think about how Bello is, how old is Bello? Like 19 years old, 20. Like that was another young guy that got thrown straight into there. It was just, it was a very hard year to kind of make any permanent conclusions from this team. But I do think it's in their best interest to sign another center back that you want to pair with, with miles there. Cause I, you know, we've seen it before. We, we've seen how that pairing can work when you've got a guy who's more of a up and down the field, isn't afraid of pushing it up, and then Miles kind of playing the safety net behind him. Um, and in general, I just think a, on another veteran would be very helpful for the um, for the defense as a whole. Just a voice in the locker room, a guy that can kind of take control on the pitch, keep everyone organized, all that kind of thing. Because you know, as good as Miles is, and as a lot of the, I think a lot of the perception of him of why he seems like he can already be that leader is because he carries himself like one. You know, you rarely see him losing his cool. He's very calm, just kind of like a very stoic guy. So I think that's one of the reasons people were just like, hey, he looks like a leader. So why don't we go ahead and assume he is one? And like I said, he can be that. I, I'm, I'm sure he's very close to being that, but he's still super young. Um, it, this was basically just his like, he only has like a year and a half of being a full-time starter under his belt. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for bringing in another center back and in particular, a guy who isn't afraid of being kind of the enforcer um, going up and down the field, pushing the ball up if need be playing just long passes, all that. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens there on the, on the two outside defenders. Um, I think Franco and Bello, I, I don't see why they wouldn't be the starters next season. I think, they both are very talented. Bello should only keep getting better. And Franco started showing, you know, that whether it was an injury, whether it was just the craziness of the season, like the Franco that we know and love is 100% still there. So I'm not very concerned about those spots. And I think Lennon has provided fantastic cover. Um, you know, he's got a ch- he's been so solid this season that he's got a lot of chances to play on that right wing. But Next season, you know, you'll have Jurgen Dom and, and Franco and Lennon all on that same side. Now, Jurgen is is kind of stuck up field, but I think having Lennon there, like knowing that he can fill in, be it at right back or right wing, like that's another guy that I'm happily counting on next season because, you know, he he did a lot of things that you could that you asked for in terms of like a a player of his type. Like he stayed on the field. He was healthy all season, pretty much like no complaints there. In fact, there was a point where he was having to start pretty much every, every single game. game without getting a break and 90 minutes. didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Uh, scored a few times, you know, provided some good balls into the box. So whether he, you know, whether you think of him as an attacker or a defender, you know, he he fits into both categories and he's a guy that definitely needs a, needs a, if it's not a starting spot, he's still going to get regular play time. Um, especially on that, on that right side of the field. Uh, you know, we can jump over to the midfield. 
that's an that's probably the area where I have so many question marks because there's a lot of guys who, you know, we've talked about Rosetto who the numbers say this guy is good, but on the field we're like he's not on the field basically. Um, you've got guys like Heinemann who flash between looking lazy to looking like one of the best midfielders in MLS. Mo Adams. <sighs> I can never make up my mind. I'll roast him sometimes, and other times I'm like, you know what? Wow. I think I think my ultimate opinion on Mo Adams is he should be on the team. I just don't want him starting. I I think he's. It seems like he's a great locker room guy. It seems like he is valuable in the sense that he could play a few different positions. But when you get into the habit of having to play Mo Adams like as a starter five games in a row, that's where you're really going to run into issues. See, I actually might have to disagree after his most. I think past three performances, if he can play like he has, maybe not in the Orlando game, but in the past like two, three games, I think if he can play like that, that's a solid, solid choice as a rotational guy that comes in, gives rest, but doesn't drop off too much, especially, you know, looking at how poorly people played. Like, so here's my thing. Either this midfield needs a complete overhaul, and I'm talking about, you know, Jeff Lorenowitz can't play, you know, 90 minutes. Who I don't even know how long his contract is like for. I don't know if he's here for another year or what, but like I love him. I think he's done amazing this season. Like you really can't ask too much more from him. Like he's he's played his role and position pretty well. But like Remedi, he was pretty inconsistent this season was a, he just overall had a disappointing season got getting yellow cards which obviously we expected him to do but the leadership responsibilities kind of fell on him if you know Jeff wasn't on the field and when he got frustrated the team got frustrated and it was just hard to kind of calm him down and get him playing in his best role of being the kind of box-to-box or ball-winning midfielder, right? Get the ball, distribute, and maybe he was being overloaded. There's kind of a lot going into it when the team switched up as much as it did. And that kind of brings me on to Hindman specifically. So Hindman, with how much he's making, he shouldn't be like a doubt as a starting job, right? Like Agreed. So... To be like to be fair, he hasn't had many consistent starts with the same pairing, right? So that's it's hard to say. But I, even though like he wasn't the best this season, I think he was still one of our best midfielders. But yeah, and it says a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Really doesn't say it doesn't say much. Um, and I think the thing that's funny with him is because like either he needs to get into gear and start playing well, or you need to move him, which might be hard due to just his salary to move him to another MLS team because either Ozetu's going to f- take his spot or Heinemann's going to improve. And I think Heinemann has a bit of value in the sense he's obviously like a decent player, especially if he doesn't have as much responsibility when he had like a Nagby behind him have that much defensive responsibility could kind of roam a bit could show off his ability up the field passing and things of that sort but he's also american so that makes it easier to move him because he doesn't take an international spot and 
and the MLS international spots are very sought after things. You only get a certain amount and you can trade for them, but they're only for a certain amount of time. So it's, he, he has some value on the market, but I don't know what you would get in return for him. And then Hosetu specifically, I don't know. I know he just signed him, but either he has to drastically improve because they talk season they've talked about how much technical ability this guy this guy's so good he probably has the highest upside blah 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 like he either has to significantly improve or they just need to cut their losses with him and just get him because i don't know if i could watch him continue flubbering around on the field for another three two three seasons because I'm going to watch the games regardless. I may not be happy about it. I will always watch them. But, yeah, he, I, he's he's interesting as well. Like, those two specifically have a lot. There's a lot behind them. They both have high upside when they play well. But will they ever both play well? Consistently, yeah, that's a, I guess. It's a huge question mark. And what, something you said on Heinemann about him and playing with consistent talent around him, it got me thinking, and like the best games that I've seen out of uh, Emerson Heinemann, in my opinion, have been the uh, Campeones Cup final against Club America, where mm-hmm. he's. I, I can't remember if, if he scored or assisted. I think he had a great I think assist. Yeah, it was on the opening goal. I can't remember yeah. if he scored it or assisted it, but. That game, and then the first two games of this season, uh, Cincinnati and and Nashville, like, he, I remember watching those games, and people were, like, thinking, oh, you know, this is the guy that, you know, we gave all that money to, and it makes sense. Um, And coincidentally, those were the games that he was surrounded around, or by what you could actually consider the strong, like, starting lineup of Atlanta United. Um, so he's definitely a guy who, if I had to, if I had to sell one of them too, it would be Rosetto 100%. Like, I, I do think, you know, there's multiple reasons why Heinemann I think just slots better into the team. Now, you're you a year from now we might be saying, well, we're basically deciding between two terrible players, um, or at <laughs> least two overpaid players. I shouldn't say because neither of them are actually, I, w- I wouldn't call them terrible, no. um, but most likely overpaid. Uh, but who knows? I think I think Heinemann has a much better chance of kind of becoming a consistent force. Now that might be just because I've actually seen it before. Um, but I, I do like his talent. I just do. I think he he is a guy who kind of when he's surrounded by better players, he himself elevates his his you know his abilities are are shown off more when he has that around him. Um, Remedi and Lorenowitz, those were two spots that. I, I guess, I don't know what Lorenowitz's plan is. I don't know if he plans on, on playing next season or what. Remedi, I'd be surprised if he's not on the squad just because mm-hmm. he fits a role that we don't have a ton of defenders or a ton of midfielders that can do exactly that. But I do, you know, Remedi's only, he looks 20. older than he is. I always thought he Big was 20s. like 28 or something. Yeah, he's only like 25. So I, I would hope that a lot of these guys who kind of had a drop this season, um, a lot of it is just due to the, season as the you know the situation as a whole um but yeah the, i i do agree though like the midfield you need you need some some big fixes there uh either you know guys showing a completely different side of themselves or you know an, an upheaval of the roster which kind of brings me to the final area 
I guess these guys, some of these guys are technically midfielders too, but I think of them more as just attacking players. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the forwards, the attacking midfielders, and the one guy that I think is the most important conversation here is Barco. Um, yeah. Barco is a designated player. Uh, he makes a good bit of money. You know, it doesn't really matter how much he makes since it's over the, the you know, since he's a DP. Um, and it's, I would say it's fair to say at no point in his time in Atlanta United has he justified that cost. I think the entire idea of him being a designated player is based on the upside perception. Um, I mean, he's a guy who's clearly a, a talented player, but it's, it's one of those situations where like, is this going to be a guy who as a young player when he's playing a guy against guys that aren't as talented, you know, on the youth levels really shines, but then kind of like, you know, there's a big difference in actually being a good soccer player and then simply being good at soccer. Like there's so many people in the world who can, who have technical abilities with a soccer ball at their feet. But, you know, as a player, there's another step you have to take to really turn into like a full on professional and Barco so far hasn't shown any sort of like mentality to be able to do that, whether it's these nagging injuries, keeping him out. And I'm not saying like play hurt. It's more the fact that he can't seem to stay on the field period. Um, And it's not even, I mean, thankfully he hasn't had any off the field issues since like the the personal one that happened early on in his time (laughs) here. But that, you know, that's just another thing that, that, that you could point to if you're a Barco detractor in terms of like, well, you know, he's destabilized the locker room before. He hasn't done much on the field. Like, what's the point? And if I'm going to be honest, I think it's in Atlanta United's best interest to sell Barco this offseason. Um, if the opportunity presents itself. I think a lot of people think you'd get nothing for him. But I do think there are still teams that would be willing to pay something for that upside. Um, and I think Atlanta at this point would be better suited with, with shipping him off and, and opening up that designated player spot to really add another guy who he doesn't, you know, sometimes people obsess over this idea of a really young guy that then you can flip for profit. Like, yeah, that's great, but you shouldn't just be aiming for that. You're going to cut off a bunch of fantastic players that you might be able to like Joseph Martinez didn't fit that bill. Really? I mean, he's not old, but he wasn't like a young prospect when he came in and look at what he's giving you now. Um, So I, I think, I think it'd be a good idea for, for Atlanta to, you know, kind of close the door on that sell him use those funds plus just the typical Atlanta United funds available to bring in I would love to see a strong just like pure center midfielder yeah. that could play behind Moreno um, I think Atlanta we'll get into it in a little bit but I think they have plenty of talent on the wings yeah. you have Joseph Martinez and you have Moreno here now I think a well, midfielder Lopez who can in the future too yeah, lo, you know, you got some. I haven't seen any of. Right, and and he, you know, you you think of him as an a, an attacking player. So, if Atlanta could bring in a legitimately talented center midfielder that can really do it all, be it defend, bring the ball up, create, I think that's what's going to give them the best chance to win going forward. I think so too, and I think you hit it right on the head with Barco because, like, obviously he has talent, and obviously he's very skilled player but i just don't think the style that everyone wants to play in the team 
he doesn't fit with that, right? He wants to dribble, dribble, dribble right before he gets into trouble, pass out. But I think we've always looked best whenever we're doing one-touch passing, you know, one-two-touch passing. And he's offered that a few times, but just not enough. And hopefully we can find someone to get rid of him because, like like you said, like he is a designated player. This is a guy that should be producing every game. You know, every game in some shape or form, like in a goal or defensively or... It, so here's a quick stat. Doug Roberson put this out. So Vialba in his first season with United, 13 goals, 11 assists. Barco in three plus seasons has put up 10 goals and nine assists. That, that really tells you everything you need to know right there. And we brought, we moved uh, Vialba out of a designated player spot and made him a TAM player um, to bring in Barco. So the ma- the instant drop-off from there, and we all love Vialba. I was very upset when I watched him go. And honestly, if we could have done something with Barco instead of him, like, I think we would be in a much different place because Vialba, he was either in, like doing amazing, or didn't have a great game, but he always gave intense performances on the field. Um, yeah, that that uh, uh, just real quick on the Vialba mm-hmm. thing, like that that really does just kind of put it perfectly in terms of how disappointing Barco has been. Um, that that little of contributions on goal when you're a designated player, like that's yeah, it's not allowed. <laughs> that when you see that on other clubs, like that, it's easy to point to. Like you'll see that immediately and be like, oh, you know, that's a team that's struggling because they're wasting money on a designated player. Pretty much. I mean, so. We have a couple players coming back. So we got Carlton coming back next season as well with Lopez. Um, Eric Lopez, who we've seen none of, but Carlton finished his loan um, with Indy. The Indy 11 with one goal and three assists and 14 appearances. It's not the best, but I think he was one of their best players in the season and definitely contributed to them. Maybe he created more chances than his stats obviously show. Um, And like you said, Moreno... I'm fine with what he's done so far. I think he contributes on both sides of the field and with better players or just more time with the team, similar to Jurgen Dom. I think they'll both start to flourish a bit, um, and that can kind of move on to the wingers. I think Jurgen Dom, my biggest struggle with him so far was more he just didn't want to shoot, and against Orlando, he started doing that. I think he heard me. My, my internal yellings of <laughs> that was shoot with your left foot. and You did more than glass. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, he, he, the thing, my biggest issue with him before was he, was he kept doing this thing where he'd run in, cut back, and then cut back again because he didn't want to use that left foot. But I'm like, dude, they already know you're cutting back to your right foot. Just shoot with your left or do something with that left foot. And he started through that game. So hopefully he continues to get more comfortable and I think, you know, I, I don't really have too much to say about him. He came in late with this team and has looked pretty solid when he's played. I think he's probably our best right midfielder, right winger, um, and should probably win that spot. And then you move over to like Gallagher, Mulraney, and Lennon. All three of them have been very bright spots on this team. Gallagher is probably our best 
scorer. Mulraney, very good dribbler. His crossing's good. I think he should have played significantly more. He looks like a steal for the price we got him and his wages. Like, And then Lennon does too. I mean, if we had Joseph in on a lot of his like crosses, I think those are goals. He provides yeah. more than Gressel in the sense of you know, dribbling ability and versatility on that right side because, you know, he's not as big of a kick-the-ball-chase-it. But I'm not saying Gressel's bad. Obviously, Gressel's a solid, solid, solid MLS player, and his crossing's amazing. But, yeah, I, I think Lennon, for the price we have him at, too, I mean, that's it's pretty much a steal. We didn't lose too much on that right wing with Lennon over Gressel, which I think, I think we will see with it. You could even argue that you may have, like, I wouldn't say see an improvement because, like, you're talking about what we saw with Gressel. But if you look at their 2020 seasons, I don't really think you can argue that Gressel had anywhere near the close the season. Um, sorry, Lennon had. So no, whether that was, you know, part of just the the weirdness of this year or not, like, I, I, I have zero complaints with, with Brooks Lennon. I think he came in and did a fantastic job. I realized I completely forgot about Castro because he's gone. He's yeah. not coming back. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know if you'll see the field again. Like, I, I think he might actually just be done. I see. I, we've mentioned it before. I don't think he's necessarily a bad player. He's similar to Barco. He just does not fit on this team. That's really it. Yeah. And, you know, as we, you know, with these ideas of, of who, what we think of certain players and, and potential incomings and all that, just in my head, I, I, I want, I want your opinion on this. This is what mm-hmm. I would, I would like to see as my starting 11 for Atlanta United next season, um, assuming healthy players, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to base in like what I think is also realistic in terms of what we might bring in. Like, Guzan in goal, like I said, I have to imagine he's going to be the keeper at least next season. Um, then a back line of George Bello, a new center back signing. I think that's probably going to be a, a, an area that the team attacks. Uh, it could just end up being like Walks or maybe even Meza, but I do think they're going to target that spot. Uh, Miles and Franco, uh, a two-man kind of like defensive midfield of a designated player. Along with Eric Rometty, uh, you know, a rotation of Rometty, Heinemann, Mo Adams, Jeff Lorenowitz, whoever is playing well, whoever fits in there. Um, an attacking three of Mulraney, Moreno, and Jurgen Dom. And then Joseph, obviously, at striker. And um, on the on the wings, I've got John Gallagher and, and Brooks Lennon as like realistic, like backup slash starter options. Like, I think if you told me. Lennon wins the job from Jurgen Dom, you know, I'd be a little surprised, but it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world either. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing to me is I, I, I do think what I personally would like to see now, whether it happens is a whole different thing, but what I would like to see is sell, sell Barco, your new designated player. You know, I haven't slotted as technically a defensive midfielder, but I'm thinking of him as more as that, the, the complete midfielder role. Like, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, Darlington Nagby, like he can come back, defend Between. and also yeah perfect yeah and the center back one i i that's a spot where it's more of a coin toss i think you could easily make the argument that Mesa or walks deserve another shot in a right you know in a normal season to to play with miles and the rest of the back line but it just wouldn't shock me if 
if someone else somehow ends up being brought in and getting a shot there. But yeah, I, I do think selling Barco, it really, you know, it lets it's you take another shot. Yeah, it lets you take a shot at another designated player. And on top of that, I just think it makes the roster fit well. Because if you bring him in, like, you have to take out most likely Mulraney or Gallagher. Like, and I don't see, like... <laughs> They've outperformed him in every game, both of them, single-handed. Exactly. Like, you can talk to me about potential and upside all you want, but in terms of what we're actually seeing, Jake Mulraney and <laughs> John Gallagher have been better players than him this season. For going uh, by just pure stats, they both should be designated players in comparison to Burko. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens there, but that that that's that's more or less what I'm hoping for uh, the coming year. I think that paired with a good coaching signing, it could set up Atlanta very nicely. Like looking at that team, even if that designated player, the hypothetical one, is just like your average designated player, mm-hmm. that's already one of the best like five or six teams in the MLS. Uh, True. Now, if you nail that, if you nail that signing, and you're all of a sudden talking about you're you're loaded with three good guys with him, Moreno, Joseph, and not even counting the potential young designated players because we don't even know how that rule fully will work. Um, all of a sudden, you're inserting yourself back into the title consideration. So, which yeah, we'll, is we'll what see. we always what's what we want, and of course, I actually have a different starting eleven. So, depending on the coach. I'm wondering, so as we saw in the two, I think there was like one game where we saw Franco play center back. Honestly, if you wanted Lennon to continue playing, you would even sign another center back and just have Franco be that dude. Because yeah. that I don't even remember the game anymore, but he played so, it was like a Red Bulls or something. We played, he played so well, we still lost. But, like, oh, that, that was... That was... I remember talking to you about that, and even Franco himself after the game, because that's when he brought up the fact that that's the position he grew up playing. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. in his mind, that's actually his natural position. And, you know, we talked about finding Miles a pairing that was similar to the LGP one. (laughs) Franco would fit that perfectly. And, you know, he's talented going forward. But, you know, I think the real gist of it here is, like, what I guess what we're trying to say is... There's a lot of teams. You look at the most consistent teams over the past five, six years, and it's pretty much been Seattle and Toronto. They have essentially, you know, three designated players and slot in a bunch of different guys. You know, they have, you know, some guys that are stayed there for quite a bit of time, but they have three core players and continuously produce at a high level every single season, make it to the playoffs one of the top three teams in their division. That's, I mean, that is what my expectation for this team. We don't have a bad team on paper. They're much better than we've performed. And I think, you know, with a coach, maybe a different designated player that's dedicated to be our midfielder. um, I think we can get right back to that spot. And if we get, you know, a new manager that, brings in a style that is actually fun to watch. No one will care when, you know, everyone will be like, oh, 2020 was, it's 2020. Who cares, right? If we go right back to being one of the best teams, which Joseph comes back, you know, you get Eric Lopez. We don't know how well he'll be or how well he'll turn out. 
He's supposedly supposed to be a pretty highly rated player. Don't know if he takes a TAM or a designated player role. Hopefully he doesn't take that DP spot because that would kind of throw a wrench in the, the midfield. But you want as much competition to make guys like Josetu or Hindman, Adams, Rometty all really fight for that spot and play to their highest ability because we know Rometty's a good player. We know Hindman can be good. Adams has shown glimpses that he is a good defensive player, has decent passing ability, and pretty good vision. Like, he's pretty good at uh, dribbling as well. Like, he can get out of a tough spot. Ozetu, I still don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, we, we just want the team to look good. And hopefully with Joseph back in the team, I think we'll get some of that fire that we've been missing a lot this season. And some of the consistency of a guy that should be putting in a lot of chances that just kind of went away. Because he's just such a consistent scorer. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I think, um, you know, to go to your, your comparisons, or at least, you know, drawing to the um, Toronto and, and Seattle thing, I, I think that's exactly what I think, too, in terms of what Atlanta should be shooting for. Um, and that's that consistent success where you're, you've got that core and you're in the running for a title every single season. Um, and to do that, you can't, it's as simple as you cannot have only two thirds of your, forget about the, the, uh, you know, the performance on the field from Barco. Like we don't even see him on the field half the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's personally my biggest thing to look for in the off season is whether they can find a partner to ship him off or if they're going to, you know, roll with another shot with him. Um, but yeah, that's it's going to be an interesting offseason for Atlanta for sure. It definitely is. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for today. We've had quite the up and down of a season, times we thought it was good. So thanks for sticking with us. I mean, we're both Falcons fans, so we've watched much worse games, specifically a Super Bowl. Um so, I mean, we're not going anywhere. We'll obviously still be here and always watching these games. So, well, hopefully things turn around. But And we're not even going to bother talking about playoffs because it's not in our hands. There's too many scenarios that have to happen for it to work. So, If it somehow happens, we'll, we'll be talking about it. But, yeah, we're not going yeah. to even think about that for now. Yeah, sorry. This is a bit longer of an episode, but I think, I think it was it – was, it was worth it. Okay. Well, that's it. If you guys want to follow us on Twitter, it is T Cousins SP. Um, and then, you know, you can rate us or review us on your, your podcasting mediums. And yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for sitting with us. Through. All right. See you guys.